The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Uh, join me as I begin reading in verse 28. From the lips of Christ, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's Word. And as Vance Havner once said, the Gospel afflicts the comfortable, but it also comforts the afflicted. And I'm probably right there with you in saying that during Christmas we need comforting, do we not? Our, our hearts grow barren with busyness. It's good, but pretty soon we find ourselves an inch deep and a mile wide. With the expectations that we and others heap upon ourselves, how appropriate to come back and consider the comforting invitation of Jesus. For you to come to Him for the first time, and I pray that some of you would come and take and learn of Christ today. And some of you need to come to Him for the thousandth time, or the hundredth time. So this invitation is for all of us today. I mean, the promise that Christ makes here is astronomical. Rest. Not just physical rest. We know that getting up and doing worship practice on Sunday worship team is exhausting, is it not? We know that sitting alongside of someone after your Tuesday or Thursday night small group and, and comforting them in their suffering or confronting them in their sin is, is exhausting. There is work to be done. But there is a rest for the soul that Jesus alone can give. And we can set that against any definition that the world tries to put upon rest. For example, from the words of Rocky. How did he find rest? He told his wife, Adrian, he said, I just have to go the distance. I don't even need to win. I just need to go the distance. Why, Rocky? Here's his words. Then I'll know that I'm not a bum. Where did Madonna seek rest? Here's what she tells us in Vogue magazine. Every time I accomplish something, I feel like a special human being. But after a little while, I feel mediocre and uninteresting again. I find I have to get myself past this again and again. My drive in life is from the terrible fear of being mediocre. I have to prove I'm somebody. Where did Harold Abrams, Eric Little's competitor in chariots of fire, get his rest? He said, I've got 10 seconds in this sprint to prove my existence. You see, what Rocky and Madonna and Harold Abrams all teach us this morning is that every human being is made with a longing for rest. That we all look ultimately to something or someone for our soul rest. Here's the thing that we learn, just a general principle that all of us learn, particularly when we pick up the Bible and begin to search the Scriptures, and that is that rest is very elusive, particularly when we go after it directly. 
And what the passage teaches us is that soul rest does not come from looking at it, but looking to Christ. The ponder the heart of Christ. To paraphrase A.W. Tozer, the most important thing about us this Christmas season, this ending of one year and the turning of the calendar to the new year, is what comes into our mind when we think about Jesus. And if the propensity of many of us is to have a too little non-elevated view of Christ, some of us distance ourselves from a comforting Christ, myself included. You know, I think this passage speaks to those of us who perhaps feel disconnected from God in a daily way. Did any of you ever feel guilt, condemnation? Do you ever feel as if no one cares about your circumstances, your difficulties? Do you ever picture God, your Heavenly Father, as reluctant to show you warmth and affection? Is it hard for you to sing the song that we just sang, that He's running after us in goodness? You see, the lie of the enemy is, did God really say? That lie has been propagated since the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? questioning the goodness and the good heart of God. Do you picture Jesus with folded arms and slightly raised eyebrows disappointed in your performance? Do you picture Jesus with a pointed finger or open arms? This morning, Jesus is graciously inviting us to find rest for our soul. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. This is really the main point of our time in God's Word as you consider, and we will consider, the gentle heart and the gracious invitation of Christ. Open yourself up to Him. Go to Him. Run to Him. Come to Him. Take His yoke. Learn from Him. Now, we must understand a little bit of the context of Matthew chapter 11. Because this Jesus who offers rest for our souls, whose yoke is easy and burden is light, is the same one that at the beginning of chapter 11 perplexed John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a pretty major prophet in God's economy. And he was perplexed by Jesus and then we see in verses 21 and 24 of Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus is the one who judges those who refuse to repent. And then in verses 25 to 27, right before this most gracious invitation, Jesus is the one who fully understands and reveals the Father and He chooses of His own pleasure whom He will reveal the Father to. So we have to understand that the Jesus who is compassionate is no pushover. He, he is not a universalist. He doesn't suggest that at the end of the day everybody makes it in to heaven. He, he makes it clear that we must come on His terms and take Him for who He is. But the offer 
At the end of chapter 11, it's for those who are weary and those who are burdened. And so if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down our first point. And that is just for a few minutes, toward the end of verse 29, to ponder the heart of Christ. I think it was Spurgeon that suggested that of all of the chapters and verses that are written about Christ, this is the only place that tells us about His heart. What does it say about His heart? For I am, help me out, gentle and lowly in heart. It's the only place. 89 chapters, 4 Gospels, this is the only place that opens up to us the heart of Christ. If Jesus had a website and you click on about me, this would be what would pop up in the drop-down. This is what he would want you to know about him, about his heart. You see, in the, in the scriptures, the heart is not the emotions. It's the control center of who a person is. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says that we're to watch over our heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. So, so if Christ is, is opening up to us His heart, He is showing us at the very core of His being who He is and who He wants us to know Him as. And He says He is gentle and He is lowly. The word gentle suggests that Jesus is not harsh. He is not trigger-happy. He is not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. But the most natural posture of Christ is not the pointed finger, but the open arm, the embrace. And the word lowly, which is often translated humble, is the idea that he is thrust downward by life circumstances into our into our lives. What it says is that Jesus is the most accessible person in the universe to those who are weary and heavy laden and those who come to Him as they are. For all of His glory, for all of His holiness, where Peter said, Depart from me, Lord, I, I am a sinful man. For all of that, Jesus is the most approachable person in human history. You see, Jesus offers an easier yoke and a lighter burden. So that sort of implies that there must be a heavier yoke and a heavier burden, right? So what is that? Well, the word labor, it means to work to the point of sweat and exhaustion. To work until you're absolutely fatigued, but it's a very specific kind of work here. It is a work to gain acceptance before a holy God. It is the person that follows the man-made rules, preachers that stack layer and layer and layer of extra-biblical requirements, one on top of the other, and you just try a little bit harder, a little bit further, a little bit longer, and it gets so exhausting, you never measure up. The word heavy laden implies that at some point someone just dumps a load on you and you're carrying it and you're enduring this 
incredible load. We know that many of the people that Christ was speaking to on this occasion were used to hearing preachers called rabbis, Jewish religious leaders that were constantly taking extra-biblical requirements and stacking layer upon layer of them all of these hoops to jump through. Back in uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus described these preachers in the following way. He said they tie up heavy burdens. They're hard to bear. And they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And you know, it didn't stop when Jesus lived and died and rose and was seen of many witnesses and ascended to the right of the Father later on in Acts as the Gospel went from Jerusalem all the way to Rome in less than 30 years. Peter and the apostles were constantly dealing with these people. In Acts 15, verses 10 and 11, here's what Peter said. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Now redemption here is the great news. The next verse is this. We believe, Peter said, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Through God's mind-blowing kindness, His unmerited favor, just as they were saved. So what is the recipe for religiosity? Here's the recipe for an oppressive yoke and a heavy burden. Are you ready for this, cooks? Spiritual bakers? You take a cup of hypocritical preachers who don't even do what they require of you. You dump in a load of man-made rules and extra-biblical rules and you stir in two cups of more man-made requirements. You bake it in the oven, Sabbath after Sabbath, and what comes piping hot out of the oven of your life? A lifetime of guilt, a lack of peace, a lack of contentment, a lack of joy, and sheer exhaustion. Is there anybody this morning that feels that? Maybe you're experiencing that? Well, the invitation as you ponder the gentle and lowly heart of Christ is number one. You can write this down. Come to Jesus. Why? Because He is the gracious Savior. And this applies to everyone. If you've never come to Jesus, this is Christ's invitation to you. To come just as you are, weary and heavy laden with burdens. If you've come to Jesus, but you feel weary and heavy laden, it's your invitation as well. John Bunyan wrote an entire book called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ, which was his take on one verse in John 6, verse 37. And, and John Bunyan, as some of the, the men of his generation had the propensity to do, could spend a lot of ink on one spiritual thought. And uh, as he came to that phrase, and I will in no wise cast out that Christ offered people in John 6, 37, he shows us, he opens us up to the persevering 
nature of the heart of Christ, the one who is gentle and the one who is lowly. And we need to hear from John Bunyan this morning because we all have a propensity to resist the love of Christ, to deflect the assurances of Christ. And so you might be in the shoes of someone that John Bunyan was writing to. This is a timeless truth. Maybe you're saying, no, wait. As you cautiously approach Jesus, you don't understand, Jesus, I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. Jesus says, I know. But you know most of it, Jesus, but certainly more than what others see. I get that, but there's perversity deep within me that is hidden from everybody. He says, I know it all. Well, the thing is, Jesus, it just isn't my past, it's my present too. I understand. But, but I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. Jesus says, but that's the only kind of person I'm here to help. But Jesus, the burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. Jesus, it's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others, Jesus. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive you. But the more the ugliness in me you discover, Jesus, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. And Jesus responds, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, you come as you are. Now, I love the hymn, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And it is often, and it is correctly noted, that we come as we are. We don't stay as we are. The Bible tells us to repent, that is, turn from our sin to Christ. But it is also true that Jesus accepts us just as we are. We come with our burden. That qualifies us to come. And I think what we see in the words of Dane Ortland in his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, is we cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close his heart to his own sheep. You know, I've been married to my lovely wife for 34 and a half years. And, and man, she knows me inside and out, the good, the bad, and ugly. But, you know, the best of relationships has its limitations, does it not? When you think about your best friend, there are times when you're like, man, I just need a break from you, from me. <laughs> if we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough, it's like you're going to get cast out. But with Christ, our sin and our suffering are the very resume items that qualify us to approach Him. I love that. Coming to Jesus, will you come today? Let me give you another word. It's right from the words of Christ in our passage. The first thing is come to Him. Grace is saving. The second thing is submit to Jesus, the kind of master. Be clear that that's not two separate things. You come and you take freely of the water of life that Jesus offers you, but you come to Him on bended knee. Because he is master. And you see, the lie that our flesh and the world tells us is you don't have to serve anybody but yourself. 
But I think Bob Dylan nailed it, didn't he? He says you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. I mean, think about Rocky and Madonna and Harold Abrams. They were in bondage to their identity and something other than their creator. All of us are serving a master. What Jesus does is He pits His easier burden and His lighter yoke against the heavier yoke of religion. Or you could substitute any other yoke in that place. Now, He says, My yoke. And that is not something we who are city dwellers are as familiar with. But it implies that Jesus is the captain of my fate, not me. A yoke is the heavy crossbar laid on oxen to force them to drag farming equipment through the field. The word for easy is translated kind, and so you put those two ideas together and it feels like hot ice. A kinder yoke. Because a yoke is something that put you put on an oxen to direct them to do their work. Jesus says it's a kinder, easier yoke. doesn't feel like those two words fit. Here's the beauty. When we take His yoke upon us through obedience, we actually learn the truth of 1 John 5, verse 3, that His commands are not burdens. We learn the truth of John chapter 10, verse 10, that He came to give life abundantly, abundantly, abundantly. What a blessing to remember that being under the authority of Jesus is a lighter burden and a delight. Have you experienced that? Or have you begun to buy into the lie of the serpent to Eve in the garden? Did God really say, Eve, God is withholding something good from you. Or do you understand that Jesus is a kind master? He is a kind master. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Dane Orgman talks about a, uh, a drowning man who is uh, being thrown a life preserver. And he pictures the drowning man shouting back, Oh no, don't offer me a life preserver. It's too much of a burden around my body. I mean, how ridiculous would that be? I mean, Jesus is offering to set you free from sin. The very thing that causes restlessness. He is offering to set you free. Take His yoke. It's the greatest liberation in your life, the greatest lightness, the greatest ease in your life as you obey Jesus, the kinder, gentler, lowly Master. I think another thing we could learn from this is just to learn from Jesus. You can write that down. Verse 29. And I think that just kind of flows into this idea that Jesus wanted us to see Himself as gentle and lowly in heart. Now, all of these are initial, and then it's a process. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you go to small group or 
We would encourage you to become a member of Redemption. And it's why each one of the three elders, pastors here, love the opportunity in step three of membership to sit down and have a conversation with you about how you came to Jesus, how you took His yoke upon you. It's a wonderful time of sharing that one with the other. But the learning is something that is just continual, isn't it? And I think for me, in recent days, because I do have a propensity often to elevate Christ, but distance myself from the heart of Christ, I have been greatly encouraged by reading through Gentle and Lowly by Dean Ortland as a, uh, not to supplant my time in God's Word, but to supplement my time in God's Word. Just to take a few pages or a few nuggets of truth and chew on it for my own soul. It's just good medicine for my soul, which so often shrivels and becomes busy with good things, but often they replace the best thing, the one thing needful. So let me just give you one little nugget as we think about learning of Christ. If you want to make your way over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, passage that Pastor Blair undoubtedly covered some time ago as he went through the Gospel of Mark, but we're just going to look at it for a few minutes, verses 40 to 45, and I just want to read it and then make a few comments as we think about learning the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. It says that a leper came to him, imploring him, Kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity or compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now we don't have time to unpackage this story, some fascinating story, but I do want to make a few comments about the first half or so of it. We understand that leprosy was a horrible thing. We've become familiar this year with the term social distancing. Probably the greatest example, or one of the greatest examples in human history of social distancing culturally was leprosy. There was a certain distance that you had to keep and that they had to keep from you. They could not dwell in the same place as you dwelt. The idea of even being near a leper let alone touching a leper, was completely taboo. And if you touched a leper, if you the clean touched the leper, the unclean, you became contaminated. So think about that. This, this fact that the leper comes to Jesus is a completely sh complete shock. The parallel passage in Luke 5.12 says that this individual was full of leprosy. There was an ugliness of a living death, a visible living death about this leper. It was horrible. He was defined by his leprosy. 
is who he was. And the fact that he came to Jesus was completely shocking. As an outcast, he was forbidden to come near anyone. The rabbi said, upwind, a leper can come within six feet of a person. Downwind, 150 feet. Josephus wrote that lepers were treated as if they were living dead men, corpses. In Israel, they were barred from the city of Jerusalem altogether in all walled cities. And if they did enter any other place, they had to keep those distances. If they came near a house of worship called a synagogue, they would be rejected and sent to a small holding room until they could deal with them later. So they had to give all kinds of warnings. Their, their tattered clothes, the shredding of their clothes, the ripping and tearing of their clothes so that if you saw a leper from a distance, you knew right away to not get close to them. Isn't that so true of us when we were born into this world without hope and without God? Dead in our trespasses and sins as Ephesians 2, 1-3 tells us. Without hope and without God. We were tattered and broken in our spiritual clothing. But man, this man was so intense in his approach. I mean, if there was ever a man who, as it were, responded to the gracious invitation of Christ to come and to take and to learn, it was this leper. Look at him. The verbs tell us a lot. Imploring him, kneeling before him. If you will, you can make me clean. It's like they're just heaped on top of each other, coming and beseeching and falling on his knees and putting himself within touching distance of Christ. I mean, you're not supposed to do that if you're a leper. You, you stay away from people. And Jesus being truly God, but here we see Him also as truly man. He was touched at every point as we are touched with our infirmities. Hebrews tells us. And then he says this, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And what does he do? Jesus says that he, it says of Christ, he was moved with what? With pity or compassion. The gentle and lowly in heart. So, so Jesus looks at a man who was shunned by society, who announced that he was unclean, who was distanced from the whole community of faith, and he looks at him and he's filled with compassion, and he could have just spoken the word, and the man would have been healed. But he touches him. He touches him. He did what the rabbi said you mustn't do. The rabbi said that if you touch a leper, you become ceremonially unclean. And Jesus defies that ceremonial law and touches the leper. And one commentator says the ceremonial law gives way to the law of love when the two collide. You see, the law of love causes Jesus not to just speak to the man, but to touch him. Have you ever wondered how long it had been since that man had experienced physical touch from anyone besides another leper? And here Jesus identifies with him. As someone put it, Jesus left the glory of heaven. This is what we celebrate each year during the incarnation. 
The, the, the idea that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, He crawled into our casket of death. He crawled into the casket of our suffering. And yet, He was without sin. He was without sin. He didn't send out a group text. He didn't shout from a distance. He came down. And to summarize the wonder of it in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. You see, with the leper, if an unclean leper touched a clean person, they became unclean. When Jesus the clean touches the leper, the leper becomes clean. That's the great exchange. That's the good news of Christmas. It's the good news of the offer that Jesus makes. It's where we can unburden before Christ and come to Him and take His yoke and learn of Him. All of that is perhaps leading me to say what we said at the beginning that maybe one of the greatest needs as we close out 2020 and move into 2021 is to spend more time considering the gentle heart of Christ. To accept the gracious invitation of Jesus. You know, as I was as I've spent time here during the week and even on the week, you come in and you know there's a sign that talks about being unafraid in your witness for Christ. And then you pick this up from your series earlier this fall, and it says unafraid. You know, as we go out, redemption today, throughout the rest of the holidays and into the new year, just know that while the gospel afflicts the comfortable, that must happen. It also comforts the afflicted. And there are people around you this morning that are afflicted. And they need the comfort that only Jesus can give. There are people at your workplace, in the next booth, in your neighborhood, young adults, young people, in your circle of friends. What an opportunity to have during this pandemic to offer point people to the one who gives us rest for our service. Will you join me in prayer?